You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 382. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Hallo! Hey son, hey son! The, ba- the gang is back together! <laughs> yeah! yeah. Right. Good, good! <laughs> and no interview this week. This is a regular episode, I hear. Well, <laughs> as regular as they go. <laughs> yeah, we've had a very weird scheduling as of late. Yeah, um, it's been it's been hectic, yeah. but we keep churning out one episode every week, and that's that's all you could ask of us. That's uh, what we can do. I think yeah. we should still applaud ourselves for that. <laughs> yes. All right. Let's do that after the the episode. Yes. yes. All right. <laughs> In yeah. our episodes, as of the last year or more than a year, we talk a lot about Vladimir Putin. But have you heard about Vladimir? Not Vladimir, but Vladimir. <laughs> Vladimir. No. Vladimir. Well, he is a is Russian. Is that like a historical figure of some sort? Well, he could go down in history. No, 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 sure, for sure yet. He okay. is possibly a Russian spy whale. <laughs> Vladimir is apparently uh, this big beluga whale swimming about Norway since 2019. So it's been around for a while. He, wow. or maybe she, they call him Valdimir, so we assume it's a he, I don't know. Maybe he has uh, any another kind of gender, we don't know. But the, re- the reason he is being suspected of being a Russian spy is that he has a harness on him, mm-hmm. uh, which says, in Russian then, equipment of St. Petersburg. So <laughs> the speculation is that he's a, a Russian agent... The, the, I sh- maybe I should do the language translation here. He's called Hvaldimir, with a, spelled H-V-A-L, because Hval means uh, whale in Norwegian. And so, oh. then, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what the Russians called him. He may be a spy. Maybe he's a defector. Maybe he's trying to join the West. <laughs> uh, the dolphins. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> the, the the idea is, or the speculation is, that the Russian military was uh, training this beluga whale and then he escaped. We don't know exactly where he comes from, but somewhere along the way he got this harness. The thing is, it's been around Norway, as I said, since 2019, but now it seems he's growing tired of Norway. He's moved further south and he was first sighted at Hunebustrand, and I'm sure you can all spell that as I have. Uh, say of course of, of course. course this Give is a, this is a small <laughs> community uh, of sweden's southwestern coast north of gothenburg but mm. he's not staying there it, now he's been actually seen in gothenburg harbor i believe or very close to gothenburg anyway and it seems to like the company of humans so uh, <laughs> it, it's becoming a little bit of a problem because he he can get hurt or he can actually hurt the boats as well if you approach them too much. I don't know if there's a skeptical angle to this. I haven't seen any serious conspiracy theories that he's actually a Russian spy, but who knows? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you never know. Is it it a coincidence that it, it pops up there and has something attached to him? That might be a recording equipment. On the other hand, a recording equipment could be attached through a harness to an animal that is under investigation, under some kind of follow-up research. Hmm. Who knows? Who yeah, knows? yeah, we but don't know. Russians we don't know what it doing. is. But he's he's becoming a celebrity now. In first in Norway and now then in Sweden. Mm. (laughs) and guess who's also becoming a celebrity not me but (laughs) (laughs) But, why not but trying to yeah definitely like i'm trying really trying to um and that means i want to see people and i talked about it last week but i want to plug it again 5th of july next month in cologne i will talk about skeptical parenthood it begins at 7 30 and uh, it's in Herbrands in Cologne. I would be happy to see people there in person, uh, but I would also be happy if people watch the live stream. So we'll put the link in the show notes. And yeah, it's in German, I should add. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, I would be happy to to see and to hear and to everything. <laughs> Notice people. Yeah, yes. yeah, good. <laughs> people go along. It's always fun. 
And uh, I've heard Annika's talk in English, though. But it, it's, it's very improved. No, but it's very interesting and it's a very important topic because as a parent, as a young mother, as a parent, you get uh, subjected to all kinds of stupid uh, nonsense uh, and uh, it's hard. And you want, always want to do the best for your child. So you listen to all everything that is said mm -hmm. and not everything that is said makes a lot of sense. But uh, exactly. how, how can you know? And know? it's also improved because as, as a good person that uh, likes feedback, I used all the feedback from um, Canberra and from Skepcon. Yeah, of course, improved it. <laughs> yeah, oh, good. Very good. Excellent. So before we get into the meat of the show, I want to just make a comment because we got some feedback from last week's mm -hmm. interview with Brian Deere. And uh, it, it, it's relevant feedback, I think, mm -hmm. uh, because at some point in the during the interview, Brian said something along the fact that, well, he more than implied that the pharmaceutical companies are expanding the definition of autism because they want to sell more and more medication to everybody. And they want, basically, he said, everybody will have a, some sort of diagnosis sooner or later because they want to sell drugs. I... We don't subscribe to that. Uh, that that is his opinion. That's a little bit more of a conspiracy theory thinking. I think there are very valid reasons for changing over time the definition of autism, and I don't think it's driven by big pharma that he uh, sort of implied. So uh, j just to make sure, I of course conducted the interview, but in the moment when it happened. It was an offhand remark in front of an audience and we were there to talk about something else. And I didn't want to sidetrack the whole interview by picking that fight mm -hmm. with him at the time. So Yeah, caught so, in the moment, so to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just as listeners know, we, we do not uh, subscribe to that theory. Thank you for that important feedback, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that helps us improve the show. Mm -hmm. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You always yeah. send your feedback to info at theesp.eu and we will, well, at least consider it, depending on what you say, but we are always happy to read and, and get feedback from our listeners. And we have received a couple of letters recently as a reply to our call for things that are happening out there. So we wanted to know about the, about stuff that's going on in some of the European countries. And later on in the show, we will reveal one of them. So now we will be able to launch those segments that we were talking about for so long. Who's quacking? and word of the week so stay tuned for that coming up towards the end of the show mm -hmm. but another thing has happened recently that i decided to use as this week's twitch also known as this week in skeptical history And that event is, well, a very sad event because it's the passing of someone who's been very influential in um, the recent history of Italy and the recent uh, politics of Italy. I'm talking about the last 20-something years. And that is former Italian Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi, who died a couple of days ago at the age of 86. Mm -hmm. So, Is that a very sad event? I mean, it's always sad someone, when somebody dies, but... Yeah, yeah, and I never wanted him to die. It's just, uh, no. uh, it's just, uh, we were just wanted him to disappear from politics <laughs> and having so much influence. And it, it looks like even in his death, he will be able to have a lot of influence because he has surrounded himself with all those political allies that are now in power. So Giorgia Meloni, for example, who's a right-wing politician, currently the prime minister of Italy. And Matteo Salvini, who's always one of the most controversial figures of Italian politics, they have all been calling him a friend. And obviously, the funeral of uh, Berlusconi's will be joined with a national day of mourning. But he was often called Il Cavaliere, the knight, because he was knighted, he was given the order of merit for labor, which he actually 
gave back after a couple of years. Uh, so he resigned from that. And he often resigned from political positions as well, including the, the premiership of Italy, mostly because of the scandals that were surrounding his name. Um, the scandals included a couple of uh, occasions of bribery, sexual misconduct, tax fraud, and all that. But the funny thing about his career is that he started his career as a cruise ship singer, entertainer, ah. a cr- yes, hey. a crooner, as they call them, these very smooth style entertainers. And this is how he started his career. Then he became business person, a business personality of very, very high stakes. And uh, he set up um, a couple of media companies, eventually setting up the media giant media set, uh, which almost controlled half of Italy's media channels for a while. So when he decided to enter politics in 1994, well, in 1991, that was, but 1994, he was actually elected to his first office, political office. And um, from then on, up until the last couple of years, he was one of the most influential figures in politics. With a lot of money in his hands, when he died, he was still considered one of the wealthiest Italian men ever. Mm-hmm. I think he was the, the third wealthiest in Italy at the time of his death. So with that kind of background and all those scandals and his leadership style as being very authoritarian, very much of a strongman kind of leader who's doing stuff in a somewhat mafia-like way, I think he is the direct opposite of what we skeptics would like to see as leaders regardless of what political uh, leaning they have because it's not the political leaning that we have a problem with and that's 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 very important to mention here it's the leadership style and it's the it's when someone is saying the craziest things ever and gets away with them yeah i think i think he was the first one to really well maybe the first one but he really used his influence over the media to become elected. If you want to be cynical about it, you can say he first took control over the media and then the media could write nothing but good things about him, which helped a lot for him to get elected. Exactly. So he was a real populist. The skeptical communities all over the world, we always have a problem with populists. And not because of our relative inability to reach a large audience and convey the message of science and skepticism to them. Uh, So it's not out of envy. It's because the problem with most of the problems that we see in the world, including policies not being driven by science and scientific knowledge, but populism and the and what the people believe in, but what the people believe in can be so easily manipulated. And Silvio Berlusconi was a great example of that. And uh, well, his his media companies were well very very far from being transparent and uh, being open and being democratic in their approach to media coverage of anything. Mm. So, yeah. Um, let's not praise him. Let's remember him as the negative example that we would like to see the least of in the future in European politics. Yeah. Rest in peace, Silvio Berlusconi. Yeah. Hopefully you will. And now you will leave the world alone um, <laughs> in your death. So this must be the most recent this week in skepticism that we have Absolutely. ever done. So <laughs> this was <laughs> yeah. this week in skepticism. So we're making history as we was literally, literally this week. Yeah, on the 12th of June, 2023, he died. Yeah. And yeah, he lived, lived to a very good age. I mean, in 86 years, 80, almost 87. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. I would be happy to do if I, if I can become that old, you know? Mm. And yeah, that rich. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I can be happy without being rich. I mean, uh-huh. I wouldn't complain, but... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Speaking of being rich and old, um, <laughs> that is the description that fits a group of people who live in a very small space. And that is the Vatican City, right? So, mm. Pontus, I'm wondering, have you got something to poke the Pope for? 
Oh, yes, I do. And uh, speaking of being old, uh, Frankie <laughs> spent three days in hospital last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had some surgery and uh, it was, uh, yeah, it, he had, I, I don't know, it, it was some sort of hernia in the stomach. I don't, let's not go into the medical mm-hmm. things. The thing is that he is 86 years old. He's basically the same age as Berlusconi and uh, he won't live forever. We'll see what happens there, but he is back in action. Uh, so much so that he not actually... Not like Berlusconi used to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, meant a, it meant a whole different thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's not go there. Uh, but in Frankie's case, uh, he has also met with uh, Scorsese, the famous uh, director. Mm-hmm. Because uh, oh. Martin Scorsese is, is planning to make a film about Jesus. And apparently he wanted to have the Pope's blessing before because they had a talk about it. We don't know what they said. We'll see what happens. Uh, yeah, there's been a lot of movies about uh, Jesus. None of them good, I think. So we'll see what happens about that. But that's not what I want to talk about today. Uh, what I want to talk about is another Catholic sex scandal. Of course, because there's always one. But this one proves <laughs> one point that I will get to. The Catholic Church of Italy is Frankie's special area to look after. Uh, He looks after the whole world, but especially Italy, because after all, he is the primate of Italy. And that makes Mm -hmm. me always giggle because I'm thinking (laughs) of a gorilla, but he's the primate. And and, uh, that's fine. (laughs) Whatever title you choose, that's good. So we can laugh about that. But the sex scandal, of course, now emerging is nothing that we should laugh about. There is an Italian Catholic organization called Azione Cattolica. How's that for pronunciation, Andras? Sounds good to me, but um, I wouldn't call myself an expert. All right. Okay. You're more of an expert than I am. Anyway, it means Catholic action. So, azione mm-hmm. cattolica. 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 Azione... azione cattolica. Thank you. Mm. So, uh, this is a so-called lay organization, which means it's not run by the clergy. It's religious, but it's not run by the church. Uh, it's old, it's prestigious, and it was founded in, well, old for some parts of the world. It's, it was founded in 1867, so it wasn't, it's not thousands of years old. But it has around 270,000 members, so it's uh, quite a big thing. Now, there is a guy called Mirko Campoli, 46-year-old former national leader of the youth wing of this organization, and he was arrested on the 23rd of May on charges of molesting at least four minors aged between 10 and 14 at the time of these alleged offenses. The victims claimed that Campoli abused them serially more than once, beginning in 2016 and often during school or church-sponsored trips. So yet another pedophile, uh, not even a priest, this one. So why even bring it up? Well, I bring it up because it was recent and because the church, quote unquote, handled it the same way that they always have. The suspicions surfaced already in 2020, and these allegations led to Campoli being fired from his post by a bishop called Mauro Parmigiani, which sounds like a delicious cheese. But (laughs) he got fired. In plural. yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, more than one. I, I like it. We, I, I can eat more than one cheese. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so he got fired. What for? What he did, which is good. But the diocese did not publicly disclose the reason for dismissing Campoli, which, according to critics, enabled him to secure a new position in Rome later on, where he reportedly and allegedly continued to engage in sex abuse. In addition, as late as April 2021, the diocese in question and their council posted a note on its Facebook page thanking Campoli for his work in these years, end quote. So uh, Campoli's post on this Facebook page also remained available until his recent arrest. So The point is, this is the same story every time. The important thing for the Catholic Church is to cover up and remove sexual abusers, not to make sure that they can't offend again, but 
because they are afraid of the PR. So they, they move people to other places and let them continue to do the same thing. And Always the, come down to that. Always come down to that. The and the special thing is that the Catholic Church has always... The defense from the Catholic Church has always been, well, this is what happened in the past and it was bad and we do not do that anymore. But hey, yes, you do. This, yeah. yeah. Mm. Shame. Yeah, if if you just reshuffle the people, they're gonna do the same thing, but in a different place. Yeah, that's a no-brainer. It's it's like it, it ain't rocket science. I mean, you have to deal with it properly, and dealing with it properly doesn't mean just, you just move the people to a different place. Ah, that's right. ridiculous. Yeah, that's Boo. what Boo. that's what Ratzinger <laughs> used to do. Fuck the motherfucker, fuck the motherfucker, fuck the motherfucker. He's a fucking Bob. motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, th- that topic always brings that to my mind. But there are lots of other topics that we would like to cover. And since we haven't had a regular episode for, for two weeks, uh, we are probably not going to be able to cover everything that we wanted to share with our listeners this week. So we're going to be playing a little bit of catch up in the coming weeks. So, yeah, let's turn to those topics that we usually call the news. Yes, and I just actually want to plug another thing, <laughs> and that <laughs> is very cool posters, I would call them, by Uncle Michael, who is a prolific skeptic from Germany. Um, he's also active within Information Network Homeopathy, and he's doing this, yeah, I would always call it series of 10 hard facts about, and then he has like 10 hard facts about homeopathy, or about... Bach flowers remedies, or they might also be pronounced beach flower remedies. So. <laughs> mm, um, really? And so on and so on. And the new one that is out is about aforementioned beach flower remedies. And uh, here he, for example, says they were in- invented by a certain Edward Beach. They're not, and, and that's something I should explain. In German, Bachblüten could also translate to river flowers. And that's mm. why a lot of people think that's a herbal, herbal remedy because it sounds like a flower that you pick beside a river. Ah. Um, but it got invented by someone called Bach or Beach as a family name. Plus, they don't have any evidence. That's fact number two. Fact number three is they're not a herbal remedy. They're esoteric and so on and so on. So I don't want to like read them all out, but they're really good. They're really concise and as i said he's also doing that with homeopathy or with schisler salts for example um mm. which is another thing like salts that you put into bath water or to inhale or whatever and they again got invented by a wilhelm schisler <laughs> mm-hmm. so um yeah just a shout out to that because it's really good and i am actually personally thinking about translating these to into english because they should be a resource not only in germany yeah that's right i i have actually written a short post on our blog uh, mm-hmm. on the on the swedish skeptics blog that was last year i think about mm-hmm. dr bach's blomsterdropper we yeah. call that <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Uh, anyway, I didn't know about the connection uh, to the river thing. I, I mm-hmm. didn't read because yeah, of well, I, it's German. It's I'm German handicapped thing. by the language, so I didn't. I didn't realize that there was a pun or whatever you call it. Yeah, but uh, that's only for Germans. Yeah, <laughs> right. That that's right. It only works in German, so I didn't exactly. catch that up. But I could maybe I should uh, amend my little post one day about this. <laughs> could do that. Instead, for right now, I am busy recording this episode and I'm going to talk about uh, Russia again. Vladimir Putin, not Vladimir this time. You're obsessed, man. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not me. <laughs> it's him. Anyway, we've, we've heard about children being kidnapped and abducted by Russia from eastern Ukraine. And Russian apologetics has tried to claim that it's for their protection, which is obviously disinformation. Reports are talking about tens of thousands of children, and there are now first-hand reports from a few of these children that have managed to escape or otherwise make it back to Ukraine. And, and this is kidnapping. This is what it is. Children witness about being told that they have to leave immediately or the Ukrainian army will come and torture and kill them. 
So they are lured to flee, and often then Russian families will take them in, not always because of charity, but because the Russian government will pay them to do so. One boy reported that he was placed in a family of alcoholics who Mm. used the money that they got from the Russian government to buy alcohol, and he was barely fed, and he was always hungry. So this is systematic. This is Mm -hmm. a way of removing the existing population in eastern Ukraine to be able to replace them with Russian nationals and to convert these children to to Russians, basically. Mm -hmm. And uh, now uh, this is what we've heard about for a while. Mm -hmm. But now some children have made it back and they, they are telling and confirming that this is what's going on. Terrible. You know what children should be doing? Mm. <laughs> children should be watching TV series that are good at explaining the, how the world works. And they should be learning stuff while playing and in a playful way. Mm. <laughs> and I hear that there is such a show in Germany that everyone knows in the country. Is yes. that right, Annika? Yes. yes, everyone knows. It's like it's not an, uh, an exaggeration. <laughs> so it's I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna try to pronounce the the title the Sendung mit der Maus. Yes. <laughs> okay. So the show with the mouse. Yes. Basically there is a protagonist that is there in every episode and there is always a new topic that the mouse kind of explores and explains. Is that c- correct way of putting it? Mm. Yes, but it, it actually started with, they called it in the beginning, they called it Lach und Sachgeschichten, which translates to stories to laugh and factual uh-huh. stories. Mm-hmm. And the mouse was always the Lachgeschichte, so like the story you would laugh about because it's a cartoon. Yes. Yeah, so like it's always a mixture of like little cartoons that break up the actual science communication, which is usually done by, by people and, and models. Like not yeah. models in a way of like human models. <laughs> I mean, yeah. for example, in the, in one of the last shows, they wanted to show how soap works. So they had a model with wooden blocks that they painted blue that were the water molecules, for example. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Okay, very clever. Mm. So yeah, it's it's a show that I love that I have grown up with watching, actually. <laughs> because it's, it's, it's like a staple. It's pretty old. <laughs> yeah, but um, you turned out well, I must say. Yeah, yeah. Luna is watching <laughs> it too. So yeah, um, it's a very beloved show of generations in Germany. And now I want to know why we're talking about it, Andras. <laughs> but the, the, the first show aired on the 7th of March, 1971. That's how old it is. Yeah. It's, hmm. It was amazing that it started in West Germany. Mm-hmm. And and then it was extended to the whole of Germany after, the ni- after 1990, obviously. Yeah. The inventor is only like a year younger than my grandpa. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, and I saw a picture, I think it has him on there as well. But there are lots of young people joining him. And there are two other characters, an elephant and a duck, that later on joined the team. So so it's like, really cool. And I understand that at the beginning, it was a little bit controversial because teachers didn't really like the fact that children were watching this. But later on, they everyone warmed up to it and since it's factual since it's really good at explaining difficult things in a very easy way so because of all that it's the top of science communication and uh, really cool that they have already been given lots of awards like 75 awards have been given out to the show with the mouse Mm -hmm. but now there is one more because (laughs) As we have been reporting since 2016, every time it happens, because it's a yearly award, the Heinz Oberhuma Award for Science Communication 2023 this year goes to the show with the mouse. Wee woo! Oh. <laughs> yeah, and uh, nice. for for our listeners who haven't been following the show for that long, the Heinz Oberhuma Award for Science Communication is recognizing the excellence in that activity and it's endowed with 20,000 euros 
and a glass of alpaca dung. The alpaca dung comes from the fact that Heinz Oberhumer, who was a physicist, an Austrian mm-hmm. physicist, and an excellent science communicator and a big star at that, he was a keeper of alpacas and he was really fond of them. So this is this is where the alpaca dung comes from. And interestingly, they usually announce the winner at the beginning of summer. But the actual presentation of the award takes place in Vienna at Vienna City Hall sometime around November. So this time it will be on Tuesday the 28th of November at Vienna City Hall. Tickets are being sold now. And obviously all the greatest news outlets and um, other institutions will be involved with that award gala. So it's really cool how big this has grown since we we started reporting it in 2016. Yeah. Isn't that amazing that it's going to be the eighth award and we've been reporting on it since the beginning of it. That's actually Ooh. really awesome, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes is... me feel old. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but also, I also really like the fact that it goes to a project that is directed towards children, because I think yes. we always need to I make... Agree. Always need to make sure that education starts from a young age. Mm-hmm. People learn how to think critically. They know about the world. They know what an atom is. They know the real science of it sounds like it's a very well-deserved uh, prize yeah. this year. Yeah, and the fact that it has been going on for so long and 2,500 episodes have been produced so far, according to... We will catch up. Science Busters. It's, yeah, of course. But it's... it. Why Why wouldn't you give them an award? Because some people might argue that, yeah, they have been awarded a million times. But this is a very prestigious, this is a very important kind of award. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just realized that I was basing my number of 75 awards on Wikipedia, which is probably out of date. Because according to Science Busters, who give out the Oberhum Award, almost 100 prizes have been won for it. So I don't know, but uh, a shitload of awards have been given out to them. And <laughs> this is probably very well deserved as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's yeah. good. Con- and, congratulations. And the, the lesson is that Wikipedia is not always right. Huh? It is indeed correct. <laughs> All right. So more about uh, children yeah. and mm-hmm. good news. More good mm-hmm. news, I think. Even though the, it's a sad background. But in June, two years ago, we talked about... And this is your area, Annika, right? Because yes. this is about stupid advice being given to young parents or to any parent, really. Mm-hmm. So it's about cutting the tongue web of young children, mm-hmm. that, which is very gross. And maybe we should have had a disclaimer before that or a trigger warning. But the reason this is spreading... On social media, there's a myth going on that... If you have a problem breastfeeding, it's probably because this you need to do this uh, mm-hmm. intervention, which is totally unnecessary yeah. in like you know ninety nine point nine percent of the time. Yeah, they call it tongue tied or or lip tied or exactly yeah. lip tied <laughs> is something what I've heard uh, heard as well. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the good news is that uh, over the last couple of years, since we talked about this, it's actually declined. Awesome. Uh, it's it, the sort of the fad is going away. Maybe everybody has been listening to this show, so I, I, I think <laughs> I would like to think so. You should thank N- us, people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but in any case, the the number of these mostly unnecessary operations have fallen by forty eight percent since twenty twenty when we talked about it last time. So that's very good. And and probably it's not all due to us because there's also an information campaign that has been carried out by the local local health region in Stockholm where this was happening the most. So well done to them. It's good to see that sometimes it is possible to turn around nonsense and inform people that are getting misled by things that spread online. Yeah, it's always it always comes down to things that are being diagnosed by non-experts, right? So yeah. because there are moments, there are problems that could be caused by a tongue tie situation, but yes. that has to be decided on by an expert, by an actual doctor, and not not a parent who thinks that this is the problem. Yeah. So um, unfortunately, some medical doctors really bought into this. Yeah. And there were some of them that, that thought this was necessary. 
and they've accepted. You just call and said, "I want my, I want this to be done on my child," and said, "Okay, come in on Monday. We'll fix it for you." No, no investigation, no nothing, yeah. because it yeah. became sort of a truth that that was what you had to do. Mm-hmm. That's it. <laughs> I don't know how people think. I understand how parents think. I, I know that as a parent. It's you want the best for your child. I also understand that breastfeeding is not as easy as it is made out to be. It's very often complicated. Mm-hmm. It hurts like hell <laughs> on the mother. And it, the, the child is not always doing what it's supposed to be doing. So there's always, this is how it starts. This is happening a lot. You have a problem with breastfeeding and you call your local health provider and they say, well, it's normal. You just have to try harder. Which is not yeah. very helpful to say that. Mm-hmm. But that's very often what you yes. hear or think you're hearing. And then you turn to social media and you hear other people talking about it. And somebody says, well, you should try this. And then and it worked for me. And then it's the truth, quote unquote. Mm. But yeah. with factual information, sometimes you can actually combat this misinformation. That's good. Yeah, Definitely. that's good. And that brings up another problem that you actually did mention, and that is doctors Mm. going with the flow. Instead of stepping up and being the authority figures in this situation who, who know best, and instead they just decide to go with the flow and not contradict the parent who wants something done. And that is the case with a lot of other things. Like some doctors prescribe antibiotics for this very reason, for no medical reason whatsoever in some cases. And this is how homeopathy is being given out as well in a lot of cases. So no, you're the doctor. You are the one who needs to have the proper scientific background and the knowledge about what to do. And you are there to advise the parent, not the other way around. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, so um, talking about advising people and especially policy decisions and policymakers being advised by experts, one of the ways to do that is that experts come up with simulation models and In an increasing number of situations, this is the case. So we can all think of cases like this, the pandemic response, tackling climate change, or any kind of healthcare reason. So whatever works with whatever kind of policy, and most of the policies are like that, work with large numbers of events and large number of people are being affected. Obviously, there are models to work with right? And models are usually being put together by researchers and experts and all that. But there is a discussion, a kind of debate being launched about that by uh, a joint mission of Sense About Science and the European Commission. And that is yet another case of Sense About Science doing something very cool and very important. Earlier on, they have been doing something with um, data science and they built a data science guide for society to understand how data science works and how these large quantities of data are being put together and analyzed and what you can deduct from these data sets. And they move this whole thing a little bit further with this new kind of initiative. So they will be launching this whole debate and this ongoing project on the 19th of June. And this will be a lively discussion with uh, all the different experts involved in the project. And obviously it will be led by Tracy Brown, the Director of Science, Sense About Science. Yeah, so I think this is important. And a lot of questions have already been put out there for the public so there is a leaflet already prepared it has a list of questions you should ask when you try to assess the validity of a model of any kind some of them are very easy to follow like uh, what do we know about the model what are the sources the quality of the data how can you assess the quality of the data are there any any biases involved so that is a very skeptical approach and There is a question regarding how transparent the model is. Do we know all that 
that has been asked about in the first question. Can we know it? Do we have access to all the information that is necessary to assess the situation? Are they put out publicly? And uh, when it comes to the model quality, do we know what it can be used for? Is it really useful for the purposes that we want to use it for? And that is another thing that scientific debates must be based on. And the last one is whether it is communicated clearly and accurately. So from a skeptical point of view, these are very important questions. And this is usually something that we discuss from the point of view of, let's say, the latest in climate science, when it has a, a skeptical angle, we tend to deal with that. But uh, this kind of general approach and the building on that general approach is something that is also necessary. It's very meta in a way, but I think it's really necessary. And I cannot help but congratulate Sense About Science on hitting the nail on the head once again. So you guys are doing an amazing job. Yeah, it's job. an awesome organization. Yes, it is. Mm. And you, if you have an opening for a guy who really <laughs> admires your work, I'm your guy. <laughs> we need a new job for Andros. <laughs> yeah, I want to leave my job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, let's stay in the UK for a second. Uh, the, the Tory government of the UK has promised to relax restrictions on onshore wind farms in order to speed up the conversion to green energy. And they have promised to dismantle what was a virtual ban on onshore wind farms in England. That was put in place in 2015 by tightening planning restrictions on national planning policy framework. That's a lot of words. But anyway, that, that's what happened. So there was a very tight restrictions, well, a number of tight restrictions, and then they promised to fix that. However... The government hasn't done anything yet to change the policies. They just said they would. Some people believe that that is due to rebellion within the backbench of the Tory MPs. They apparently threatened to pile pressure on ministers to make only modest tweaks on the framework, which would continue to hold back the whole rollout of English wind farms. So the irony of all this is that even though the Tory government has promised to do something about this and to get wind farms going again, which, by the way, is the cheapest form of power generation, according to some calculations at least, Nothing has really happened. And Ukraine, who is in the middle of a war, has built more wind turbines than England has during the same period of time, during the war. So uh, since it is the cheaper form of power, estimates point to that this tardiness on, on behalf of the UK has cost taxpayers in the UK about £800 million because they've had to subsidize fuel consumption during this last winter. So not very impressive and not in line with what we want to see when it comes to tackling climate change. I'm very happy that something that got tackled in Germany is homeopathy. Mm. Not only by, but also by Information Network Homeopathy. I'm not getting tired of mentioning them on the show. They are um, awesome. Plug what I can. Um, that's actually good news here because... After medical students, now pharmacy students also distance themselves from homeopathy. Mm, well done. They say homeopathy is unscientific and they say they don't want homeopathy or other medication that is not a medication. <laughs> so other <laughs> remedies that are not actually evidence-based to be in pharmacies. Mm. So I'm actually really happy about that. They say Hahnemann's teachings can't be combined with scientific evidence and that evidence-based medicine compared to homeopathy is really two different sides, two extremes. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy that they distanced themselves uh, from homeopathy, that also medical students did that. It's, it's just a very good step in the right direction. Yeah, mm -hmm. great. So there's a little bit of hope in this episode, mm -hmm. isn't there? There are some good news. <laughs> yes. Especially when it comes to the younger generation. Mm -hmm, exactly. Because we all screwed up, that's <laughs> for sure. We're lost. 
we have to be hopeful regarding the next generation because otherwise we are just screwing their lives up. Yeah, we have to do something about that. And I'm pretty sure that that is a feeling mm-hmm. that you you come across all the time, Annika, yes. with, with a toddler. She's a small girl and who the hell knows what she's growing up into. Yeah, exactly. Like my parents didn't know that in the 90s. Exactly. And... Uh, I feel like I got the better part because I got pretty peaceful times, <laughs> like without any cold yeah. war and everything. And I don't know mm. how peaceful her adult life will be, you know? So yeah, of course. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's important that we try to do something about all this. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's send them to a good school. And <laughs> um, since it doesn't always happen, I think it's about time we found out Who's been really wrong lately? Yes. And it's funny you talked about schools. Of course, that wasn't <laughs> a coincidence. <laughs> but hmm. this is a really wrong, not a really right. So it's actually not that funny. There were complaints filed for, and I'll, I quote, endangering the lives of others that got filed by parents of students at a Steiner Waldorf school in Colmar in France. And they mm-hmm. accuse a teacher at this school of exposing their children to a potentially dangerous and harmful chemistry experiment. Uh-huh. So police got sent to the school. <laughs> what happened was that this teacher lit a fire <laughs> in a classroom. In a chemistry class? No. Okay. <laughs> Just random. Yeah. Yeah. So they made a fire. That's, of course, forbidden, like super dangerous. And they also got asked to get more green leaves to cause more smoke. So it, it was a chemistry lesson, but it doesn't say if it was in a chemistry room or not. But even in a chemistry room, it should be a controlled fire, not a fire where you just put like a bonfire <laughs> on, put green leaves on it to get more smoke. They wanted to see the effects on the feelings and the will of children to put them in a state, and I'm quote, a state of pure sensory experience. Oh, a state <laughs> of pure sensory experience. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Sense the smoke, man. Well, I continue with with what uh, the teacher told the parents. In chemistry, it's fabulous. That's why I smoked them this morning. We make them live the thing with all their senses. They coughed, they spat, they had tears. We couldn't see much in the room. Holy shit. Yep. So he he actually, like, it's not even joking. Like, he smoked. He said, I smoked them. He smoked his students. Yeah, and he's proud of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, he's, he's proud any of it, yes. teacher, any teacher listening to this uh, episode, don't put fire. Don't smoke. <laughs> don't smoke your children. Please stop. <laughs> that is like crazy talk. Like you shouldn't even f- smoke in front of them. You know. No. But uh, yes, it's that's just like it's really dangerous. A, the fire in itself is really dangerous. But B, it's also really dangerous for them to just inhale the smoke. She also stated, apparently, quote, the fire is between darkness and light, and this is in the human. We have this inner fire, and we can feel the part of light and darkness that we have in us, all these things that systematically echo the human being, end quote. Yes, that's, of course, nicely (coughs) nicely (coughs) philosophical, but still, you shouldn't light a fire. (laughs) So... A lot of anthroposophical bullshit and and Waldorf uh, Steiner bullshit. (laughs) So there's a bit of Steiner philosophy under that. It sounds a bit like a ritual, like an anthroposophical ritual. But all in all, I can just summarize this to for smoking her students and for lighting a fire in a classroom without any actual reason, this teacher receives this week's prize for being really wrong. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. And the thing, what really bugs me is that if you would bring this up to criticize anthroposophy uh, or Steiner schools with somebody, it was like, well, that wasn't true anthroposophy. That was... that, But they all do crazy shit. Not maybe perhaps exactly this thing, but the Steiner schools are full of this Mm -hmm, nonsense. mm Mm-hmm. And uh, it's very, very hard to argue with them because, well, this was not true anthroposophy. Mm -hmm. Okay, fine. Show me true anthroposophy and tell me what is true. 
yeah, that's why I'm also really happy that in Germany we have two really good experts about anthroposophy who are um, Andre Sebastiani and Oliver Rautenberg. Both of them are doing amazing work. So I would almost give them a really right award, but we don't really have time for that, I think. <laughs> so Maybe next week. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, thank you very much, Annika. Mm -hmm, thank you. And that brings us to the new segment that we have, and we've been waiting for input from our listeners. And thankfully, we have a couple of them, so we have a couple of weeks' worth of material to work with. And uh, this week, it will be the one that we call Who's Quacking? Who's Quacking is about some people, a prominent figures of pseudoscience and conspiracy theories and all that from different European countries that we normally don't hear about. We ask our listeners to send us recordings, pieces of information about these people and their activities. And uh, one of our listeners, Adrian, did that. He's from Romania. And uh, the person that he drew our attention to was someone that I'm going to try to pronounce the name of before we listen to ourselves <laughs> saying it. Diana Jovanovici Soshwaka. All right. That's very Let's good. See. This is a person who talks very quickly. So I, maybe we have to play this twice. But this is how she herself pronounces her name. Diana Jovanovici Soshwaka. <laughs> yeah. That's quick. Uh, let me do it again. Wow, it's hard. I, I, yeah, I it did is. extract that from a talk that she held in Parliament. And she talked very, very quickly all the way through. But this but is her she's name. she's like, you're listening to her and you feel like, oh, woman, inhale, please. <laughs> for just <laughs> once. Yeah. <laughs> because she was just talking, 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 talking like a machine. Mm. And, uh, and the things that she says are absolutely mind-blowing. So she's an anti-vax figure of Romanian politics. She's probably one of the main anti-vax figures, especially with regards to the COVID-19 pandemic and the response to that in Romania. And we know that Romania didn't really do well in the pandemic when it comes to uh, vaccination rates. And uh, she's an anti-EU person in the political field as well, as well as uh, a pro-Russia kind of politician. In that speech uh, that you extracted the introduction from, she mentions some of the countries that, according to her, were the true pro-peace countries in this whole thing, this whole situation, including Hungary, including Turkey... <laughs> in the leadership of Erdogan, and what other country was mentioned there. But obviously, all of them, the pro-Russian leadership countries, where the idea of making peace would be for Ukraine to just drop the whole idea of self-defense and just get under the leadership of Russia. Yeah. So... It's ridiculous. According to Wikipedia, she's also talked about uh, annexing. Romania should annex <laughs> parts of Ukraine. Yes. <laughs> as part of the peace process. I, I don't know. And everybody, anyone sending military aid to Ukraine are the real war mongers. Yes. That's what she said. Yes, that's what she said. Oh. Um, luckily, what Adrian sent us, that link, has English subtitles. So if you can read very quickly, because obviously as she speaks very quickly, you have to read very quickly <laughs> yeah. as well. You can understand it and it will blow your mind. The, the amount of shit that she speaks, it's ridiculous. But... That's a prominent politician of anti-vax sentiment and anti-immigration sentiment and anti-EU sentiment named Diana Jovanovici Shoshuaka. So thanks very much, Adrian, for mm -hmm. sending that information and, and, and sharing it with us. And we will keep sharing the knowledge that these people are out there and not only in the English-speaking countries, but everywhere. And they have a massive effect on the outcome of situations. This is why we have to be knowledgeable about that and we have to know how to try to confront them. 
So thank you. And people listening to this, keep sending these mm-hmm. in. We want to know what's going on in your countries because we can obviously cover stuff that's happening in Germany, in Sweden, in uh, Hungary. Uh, I've almost forgotten. <laughs> and the name where of am I from? Hungary. It's called Hungary. Hungary. It's a Magyarország. <laughs> Magyarország, by the way. And sometimes even from the the neighboring countries, I follow things that are going on in Italy as well. But it's not the same as you, the listeners, mm-hmm. sharing it with us, sending in the information. And we would anyway, would like to hear from you. We would like to know what you like about the show, if you have any criticism to express. So we love getting emails or or messages um you can send us messages as well we can you can find us on twitter you can find us on facebook on instagram so, uh, yeah feel free to get in touch on instagram as well all right and if you feel like you would like to support our work mm, go you can to do it yes you could go to patreon.com slash the esp and you'll find all kinds of levels there where you can choose to support us. It could be, and you can always limit the number, the 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 amount per month. If you don't want to share per episode, you can do that. And uh, we appreciate every penny, cent, uh, or um, uh, Hungarian florin. What do you have florins in Hungary? Forint, 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 forint. Yeah. Uh, whatever money you have, <laughs> we will take it happily. <laughs> because, because even though we are members of the European Union, economically speaking, since our joining, we haven't been able to reach the level necessary to to join the Eurozone. <laughs> no, no, that, that's, so, yeah. that, that's right. But any money you, you want. And to be serious, it really does help because it, it, yeah. we... we we put a shitload of work into this and we sacrifice a lot. And uh, it, it's very, very nice of you if you would support us just a little bit. But just to be clear, it's not being spent on our... On coffee that we drink. <laughs> private, every, everyday No, no, lives. no. It's just it's, expenses. It's being sent it's on just to cover expenses. And expenses. And by expenses, we also mean being able to afford to go to conferences, to go to live gatherings where we can meet you and meet other skeptics and do some networking because we are all in somehow involved in our respective skeptical organizations as well. Yes, it's a great support. We decided to put a lot of work into it, but that way we don't have to sacrifice that much money. We really appreciate your help with that. But that brings us to the end of the show. So, um, Anika, have you got a quote for us to finish on? Yes. And this week's quote is short and sweet because I like short and sweet quotes. And it's by Natalie Grams-Nobman. This seems to be a homeopathy-heavy episode. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. People who don't know Natalie Grams-Nobman, she was one of the figureheads of information network homeopathy. Um, She was a homeopath turned evidence-based medical professional. And Mm -hmm. she made a really good quote that I want to tell you about now. Only one who is completely informed can decide freely. End quote. Mm, very good. I mean, it's perfect. Quote. Who can argue with that? No. no. <laughs> if you want people to be able to have a free choice, you have to give them all the facts. Exactly. That's how mm-hmm. it is. And that's why it's so important to talk about science, to communicate. That's why it's important what we're doing. Okay. But before we start praising ourselves too much, I think <laughs> we should really close the mm-hmm. show. And I'd like to thank you, Anika and Pontus. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Many thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Tschüss. Hello. Mislat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. 
We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesb.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Can you hear that? There's a noise outside. My wife is... I'll ask her to stop. Okay. <laughs> I couldn't hear it, but <laughs> that doesn't mean anything. Do you think she's cutting the lawn? Could be. <laughs> <laughs> that is... Yeah. MPs, is that military police or members of parliament? Anyway. Members of parliament. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's an outtake. I think we should just wait with my segment until my room is clear, uh, quiet again. Ah, <laughs> you have a pirate there. <laughs> yeah. Luna, sag mal hallo. Hallo. Hallo, hallo. Antosh. Yes. Ja, und der andere, wer ist das? Pontosh. Genau.